0: I think this Ukrainian conflict has been another defining moment for us. You know, really, the world changed dramatically a few weeks ago, and suddenly the phone started ringing off the hook, literally.
1: From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello again, Downlink listeners. What's not likely a surprise to you is that sanctions really annoyed Dmitry Rogozin. He's the head of Russia's state-owned space corporation, Roscosmos. And since Russia started its war in Ukraine, foreign governments and commercial customers have abided by the sanctions. That means canceled launch contracts and no new ones. Rogozin told the Chinese broadcaster this week that because he doesn't see future cooperation with Europe as viable, he's got 10 rockets without payloads. Outside of Russia, this new reality is just beginning to be fully understood. This week at the annual Satellite Space Industry Show here in Washington, D.C., The buzzword was resiliency. The concern is what will Russia and perhaps even its allies do next? A number of business leaders that work with the Department of Defense told me that they expected a lot more investment of time, money and effort into hardening space assets. Now, while Roscosmos is hunting for customers, there's anecdotal evidence that outside of Russia, some in the commercial space industry are seeing a yet to be quantified Bump in sales related to Russia's war in Ukraine. This week, we'll hear from Hans Steiner, the CTO of Atos, and Eas the company's director of global sales. This European company provides satellite signal integrity monitoring services. Essentially, if your satcom signal is running into interference, they'll know it and where it's coming from. But before we get to that conversation with Hans and at the show, I checked in with Matt Desch, Iridium's CEO to get his take on the space industry's mood and how Russia's war has affected Iridium's business. Hi, Matt. It's really lovely to see you in person and to um, actually meet you here at Satellite 2022.
0: It's amazing that you look smaller than you do. No, I don't have no idea what, to... <laughs> without being on a Zoom screen, this is really great to, uh, to see you actually in person as well. Thanks.
1: You've been talking to uh, lots of different business leaders here at Satellite, and I'm wondering, you know, what's the mood now that Russia has invaded Ukraine? And it does kind of change things up. I mean, there have been some space companies that have suffered some cyber attacks. You know, what are people talking about at at this show?
0: Well, I think it was just a few weeks ago that none of us could believe that this this was going to really happen there were a lot of people who were skeptical that uh, a european country would be attacked and uh, so i don't think any of us really prepared greatly for it in some ways always preparing on the cybersecurity side because frankly i don't think this is anything new uh the last 10 years uh i think we all have been certainly we have been investing a lot in technology to, uh, to protect ourselves, but this is a, a new game and a lot of new threats. You know, I think, think people are trying to figure out how we can help, how we can make it end. Uh, I think communications, pictures uh, of what's going on, all those have become very important tools. I think satellite has maybe uh, been recognized for sort of its important role to be played, whether it's in uh, high-resolution pictures, which we don't do, but we do supply satellite phones and push-to-talk devices and broadband units and those sort of things. And they've been, the demand has been really extraordinary over the last few weeks. You know, We've always been a company that's been relied upon in emergency situations, whether they be hurricanes or tornadoes or uh, tsunamis like in Japan. All those have been sort of defining moments for us. I think this Ukrainian conflict has been another defining moment for us. You know, really the world changed dramatically a few weeks ago, and suddenly the phone started ringing off the hook, literally. Um, We've had emails, we've had requests, we've had... uh, and, And usually Iridium is really utilized very heavily in the first couple days of anything because we're so mobile and we're so able to be brought in quickly. And then, you know, VSAT systems and others are sort of rolled in, and our role... Declines um, back to more what it was for you know the, the heavy mobility uses in say the country that was that's having a hurricane or disaster. This has not been that way at all. Um, demand and traffic has remained very high in Ukraine. Um, it's only getting higher, I think, uh, recently. Um, really, sort of an insatiable demand for satellite devices, particularly as additional terrestrial infrastructure is destroyed or damaged, or uh, not utilized, it just shows how important mobility really is. People need to be on the move, and they need, you know, unexpectedly on the move, and they need to connect with their loved ones, with other governmental agencies, with other important things to help them through the crisis. Um, So um, clearly all our hearts go out to the people who have been affected by this. The pictures are horrific. The situation is dire for most of them, and, uh, and we're, we're just proud we can do something to help.
1: What concerns, as the CEO of a company um, that has such a tight relationship with uh, the Department of Defense in going forward, you know, there are cyber attacks that, you know, we have three-lettered agencies, both here in the United States, as well as counterparts in France, looking into that are looking specifically at space companies. I mean, what kind of um, concerns do you have going forward and in the future?
0: Well, when I, I joined Iridium 15 years ago, I don't think space was viewed as strategically as it is today. You know, we had GPS and people were nervousness nervous about the fragility of sort of position and navigation and time information from GPS. But communication systems were big systems and geostationary that would operate or not operate. And it was not as important because um, I just don't think they were as pervasive as they are today. Now we're being utilized for so many more things, and I think uh, we've become part of a... You know, I think space is being viewed as part of the sort of warfaring domain, if you will. And uh, you can see with the anti-satellite tests that some countries have gone through, which is abhorrent to those of us who are operating networks in low-Earth orbit, um, yeah, it's clear that some people think that maybe perhaps... Uh, you know, damaging assets in space or of operators on the ground or taking control of them might, might be valuable um, in, in some sort of conflict. Um, and, and, and that's disturbing for those of us who run networks. Um, so we've obviously worked very hard to protect ourselves. I'm not sure that, like I said, that there's anything new about the last couple of weeks because we've assumed that uh, we have such an important network. It's very resilient, fortunately. It's nice having lots of low-Earth orbiting satellites because, you know, you can't easily damage our network. That's one of the reasons why we're relied upon by so many, but um, but it, it's concerning, uh, and it should be concerning to anyone who is uh, operating a network in space right now.
1: And how does Ceridium face what is really a, a new security era? And what I mean by that is that, you know, we have a situation where China's being asked by... Russia to support it militarily, beyond you know, meals ready to eat, et cetera, et cetera. There has been a phone call between the U.S. president and his counterpart in China. You know, d- does any of this affect your business or possibly f- affect your business in the future if things do come to pass where we may have to have sanctions on China?
0: Well, I hope not. Um, we don't have any Manufacturing operations in China or any specific ties to China that would sort of be affected by, by sanctions. Um, and uh, I mean, we do have customers in China, um, certainly a lot of Internet of Things customers for tracking assets and uh, some voice calls and some push to talk networks and those sort of things are uh, in China. Um, not in the not in that big a way, but a a sizable enough way, and so certainly uh, uh, some of those possibly could be affected, but I think overall um, it always affects an operator like us. We're the only still company that has 100% of the Earth's coverage, so we're still a very, very global operator. We blanket the Earth in communications. When some part of the Earth is you know, making it more difficult for people to communicate, it sort of affects the overall global approach and brand that we have as a company. So um, I don't really like to see that. I'd like to say, like any other operator, we'd love to be neg- we'd love to be neutral on these kind of things and provide a business, but it's very difficult when you see people being hurt, you know, by one country to the other. It's hard not to sort of take a side to the people who are who are being attacked. Um, so we'll obviously, as a U.S. company, we'll Comply with whatever U.S. regulations and sanctions are required. Just hope it doesn't come to that.
1: I was also told, and we're going to sort of switch uh, tack here. I've also been told that unlike other companies who are going bigger, Iridium is going smaller. Why don't you tell me something about that?
0: Yeah, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Um, you know, a lot of the excitement in space right now is investing in mega constellations of low-Earth-orbiting satellite systems, which we would call ourselves. Uh, but they're being designed to really do something very different than what Iridium is doing. Uh, specifically, when I say they're going bigger, they want to supply as fast a speed as possible, an Internet-like quality service like you'd get at home. Uh, and that's a very important service, and it's an exciting one, um, certainly the most um the one that's talked about the most is the uh, Starlink system from SpaceX, but they, like OneWeb, like Telesat, like uh, Project Kuiper, like a number of other networks, are being designed to supply big bandwidth pipes. Think of them like if you were trying to deliver packages, and maybe the most efficient way to get the most packages between two cities is an 18-wheel truck, Right. However, if you want to deliver that to your neighborhood and your door, taking that 18-wheel trailer all over the city isn't the most efficient way to do that. You have step vans or couriers or people on bikes. That's kind of what we, we do. I mean, we specialize in, in fact, the way we think about it is what's the most amount of data or connectivity we could get to the smallest possible device something that can be extremely portable extremely mobile extremely inobtrusive and and um, you know maybe even part of your smartphone or part of a device that's worn on your body maybe even in a watch or in a in a certainly in something like a drone or a autonomous vehicle of some sort, maybe a recreational vehicle. These are all small applications. So when we say we're going small, it's how do we boil down essential connectivity, essential connections anywhere on the planet to things that every one of us touches and uses and is part of. So unlike Starlink, for example, it seems like a fantastic system, but it's really delivering 18-wheeler type information to people. And, And the smallest... It can really get boiled down to a still the size of a large pizza, which needs a plug and a cord and uh, can't be moved around too easily. Uh, can't be worn, sewn into your military uniform. Can't be uh, attached to your backpack. Can't be um, can't be something that you carry with you in your pocket. Really, some people dream and think that's possible, but that's not the way that system is designed, and it can't can't be adapted to do that without incredible inefficiencies. So we do very different different activities. They go big and do go big very very well and we go small and do that really really well. And it's one of the reasons why we've been so successful over the last 18 20 years is because we do something very different than others, something very highly specialized, highly targeted and we do it well with so many other partners who take us and put us into so many products. So that's how we're going small.
1: And lastly, you know, this is really the first conference that I've been at for over two years, where I haven't worn a mask, where I've been able to sit across from a table um, with a CEO and, and actually um, interview him or her. How do you, how do you view this year's, this year's um, get-together?
0: Well, I'm sure I don't look as good without a mask uh, as I did with one. Uh, no, it's 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 feels normal. It's funny how I think everyone feels the same. Uh, as soon as you take the mask off, as soon as you get back to people, it's it sort of surprises you how natural it feels. Because after two years, I think we had fit, I think we thought the world had changed completely, and we would all be just talking to each other over computer lines from our basements. And by the way, you know it's great we've learned how to do that, and that's a great way to fall back. And I think we're going to do a fair amount of that going forward. But I don't think anything, you know, competes really with face-to-face communications with people, with sitting down, collaborating, brainstorming, talking about this, running into people. I can't tell you how many people I've just run into that I would not interact with unless I saw them in a big group of people and have made some connections already here at something like this that – are extremely valuable because they supplied a piece of data information about what a competitor or what a partner is doing created a new business opportunity a chance to get together again for coffee and in a week and talk about something specific you just don't do that over zoom you know everything on zoom is planned it's organized it's it's highly scripted and um you know frankly not very healthy in terms of long-term innovation and expectations of a growing exciting industry like like space and satellites and communication so um so it's great Let's, uh, let's keep the masks off. Please get vaccinated. <laughs> let's not have any more variants. Uh, let's let's stay out there and try to keep this going as long as we can. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Laura. Really good talking to you.
1: You know, sometimes there are services that seem to have been made for the moment, like DoorDash and the pandemic. I'm not saying Atos is the next Grubhub, but it is an example of a space business that seeing its customer base grow because of Russia and that country's electronic warfare capabilities, which, if you're interested, is the subject of an earlier Downlink episode. Here's my conversation with Hans and Eas at the Satellite Show. Thank you for making the time. It's great to have this opportunity to speak with you both in person.
2: Yes, hello, Laura. Thank you for inviting us.
3: It's a great glad- pleasure to be here, Laura.
1: Yes, Hans... Let's take a moment to have you introduce yourselves and your company, Atos. Hans, why don't you start?
2: Yes, my name is Hans Steiner. I'm coming from uh, Vienna, Austria, and my company, as Laura said, is Atos. Atos is a multinational company headquartered in Paris, about more than 100,000 employees. And we work in a wide field of areas, mainly in the IT services, but also a considerable branch is in the defense area.
1: Ias, what about you?
2: Yeah, hi, Laura. So my name is Ias Daka, and
3: I am uh, in charge of global sales for our defense portfolio for uh, satellites. And uh, I am based in Germany.
1: And who are your customers? Can you name some of them?
3: Sure. So our customers are in both or in three different areas. One is the commercial operators like Utilsat. Uh, Avanti, Arabsat, Intelsat, and you name them. And the other one is in the defense area that unfortunately I cannot mention them in name. And we also uh, provide the regulators, the, uh, the telco regulators, with our system to monitor the frequency allocation over satellites
1: going to start with a general question before honing in on satellite communication, signal integrity and identification. It's been just over a week since Russia started its war in Europe's front garden in Ukraine. It was made crystal clear in November with the anti-satellite test that the Kremlin considers space assets fair game for aggressive actions. And we know that those actions include not only kinetic kill weapons, but cyber attacks and electronic warfare. What is the mood among European space operators and your customers, E.S.?
3: So everybody in Europe is concerned with uh, what's going on in in Europe, in Eastern Europe, Um, especially the commercial uh, operators for satellites. And to speak of an example, Um, Just recently or in the beginning of the war, you know, one side of the war uh, started a a jamming of a satellite from Viasat and that caused, of course, um, the whole system to go down, an outage for all the wind farms in the northern side of Germany uh, which was a big loss uh, for uh, for the commercial uh, wind farm uh, operator so... Everybody is concerned. Everybody um, is taking steps in order to protect their uh, satellite communication assets. And I think uh, the war uh, made it very clear that uh, there is a real need for cybersecurity, for uh, satellite communication situational awareness, that we know exactly where satellite signals are coming from, who, who are generating them. And, of course, to geolocate them and to know where exactly they are, um, uh, the source of each signal coming from.
1: Your company provides a suite of services that monitors the links between satellites and ground stations. That's signal interference detection and analysis. And you can locate where it's coming from and from who, friend or foe. Have you seen an uptick in incidents since February 24th? I'm asking this because both Russia and Ukraine use electronic warfare to prevent communications and control. You know What have you been seeing, Hans?
2: Yes, in fact, Laura, um, we have seen an uptick. Respectively, our customers have seen an uptick. In general, we have seen upticks in the past years uh, due to the fact that there's a lot of communication going on, also crisis more uh, going on. And this increased already the satellite communication, and with the satellite uh, communication increase, you have more and more interferences. But recently, since the war started, in fact, uh, uh, really skyrocketed the interference um, cases. Uh, We see them on our our monitor, but we see them also when we talk to our, uh, or we hear them when we talk to our customer. And the, the, the fact is, Uh, We are providing these services and solutions to our customer in order really to identify where the interferences come from. First of all, we detect them. Uh, We see them in the spectrum, or our system sees them in the spectrum. And then the operator, of course, they need to take countermeasures and to really identify where the interference comes from from the ground because you mentioned, yeah, you identify and classify and uh, and see what's going on and then really want to know, yes, we want to take countermeasures and to find out where does it come from.
1: How hard is it to locate that or, say, attribute where the interference is coming from and who's doing it?
2: In the general case, it's pretty hard. So monitoring is quite simple, because you get the the signal and you do an analysis and you you find out that the carrier is not working properly, so that the communication is not working properly. Um, That's the simple part. The more complicated part, or even difficult part, is then really to find out uh, where it comes from. And here we have in the past years, like in the last 10-12 years, we have improved our algorithms with various uh, improvements, technologies, Uh, to find out a method or several methods. We do not rely on just one method to find out why several methods to really improve the quality of the geolocation. So really be able to pinpoint where the interferer might or will come or is coming from. For instance, uh, we have uh, introduced uh, a solution a couple of years ago, which we call ILS-1. ILS stands for Interference Local- Localization System 1. Uh, the 1 stands for one satellite because we only need one satellite in order to identify where the interference comes from. The normal case is the two-satellite solution and this one works that you have two satellites visible at the same time and uh, doing this um, we can triangulate what we do mathematically do some correlations, a little bit easier said than done. Uh, we do a lots of co- a lots of co- correlations, and then uh, through this we have we identify two lines: at the time of difference when two signals arrive at a different uh, time, and the other one is when the satellites move. They create a Doppler shift, and we are measuring the difference of the Doppler shifts. And with this together, when where the lines cross, uh, we find out where the interferer comes from. Normally. Uh, we get a precision of a couple of kilometers. And in the normal case, this would be good enough that you identify where this the signal comes from because it comes normally from a teleport or from an antenna. But if you are in the city or if there are more antennas down there, you really cannot identify this. For instance, in the defense case, military case, uh, it would be really extremely good that you pinpoint to the not centimeter, but at least to a couple of hundred meters, where the where the signal and the interferer comes from, or where the signal in general comes from.
3: And for that, Laura, we um, are correlating the data with other sources. So, for instance, we have a platform where we can get access to images from Earth observation satellites, and we correlate the image. With the geolocation result that we get from our system, so we can see the image of the intersection uh, of the uh, both lines that uh, Hans just mentioned, and that increases the um, you know the accuracy of the system and gives uh, the operator or the agency which is looking at the results a very good idea where the signal uh, is coming from. And on top of that, also we um, we have developed models, uh, AI models that can you know, help us to um, classify and to geolocate signals precisely uh, coming from a specific location. That's that's said very simply. Sometimes our customers are looking into content, so they are correlating also the content which is transmitted over the uh, signals. And this is something that we also offer.
1: Now, NATO heads of state are attending an extraordinary summit in Brussels this week, and Russia and Ukraine do not have a ceasefire at this time. I'm wondering, E.S., how are sales? Has the interest in your services grown in the past weeks and here at Satellite 2022 at this conference?
3: I mean, the, the interest in, in, in our uh, satellite communication situation awareness is increasing by the day since the crisis. We could uh, see that uh, here in the show, that everybody is stopping. Oh, situational awareness, what is that? Uh, what can you do? Uh, how can you uh, help us with the situational awareness? So I think that, uh, um, generally speaking, the, the awareness for situational awareness is increasing. And a lot of, let's say, Ministry of Defense, uh, departments of defense in Europe, are looking seriously to improve their capabilities to monitor the skies, and to have the right equipment to be able to monitor neighboring countries. And this is
2: exactly what we do.
1: Hans, what are your plans for the future for ATOS?
2: Yes, he has mentioned this uh, situational awareness platform. We are constantly improving this platform and we are continuing improving it. with the, So mid-term, uh, short-term, mid-term is improvement of this platform. And then we have started a uh, development where we reverse our algorithms um, because the important thing is in order to do geolocation or identification where the signal comes from, uh, we need a precise position of the satellites this is normally hard to get. Of course, you should know the position of your own satellite if you are an operator of that satellite. But the adjacent satellite is normally not your own satellite. And uh, for instance, in the defense area or in the military communication, you hardly ever have a second satellite. This is, by the way, why we have invented this ILS-1, but I mentioned before. But coming back to the two satellites, so uh, we need the exact positions of these satellites. And of course, there are catalogs, but they are not precise enough. So, we are now uh, implementing a method where we ourselves can determine where the satellites are, so, exact position and trajectory. So, this is on our our agenda for the next couple of months. Um, It should be finished by early next year or end of this year. So, that's basically what we plan for our system. So, extension of the platform, the awareness, situational awareness platform. And the precise um, um, localization of satellites, so we reverse it. we instead of identifying where the signal comes from the ground, we identify where the satellites are in the sky. Finally, uh, for next year, we do have uh, or early, um, early next year, end of this year, we will have uh, an idea where we intend to track in general where signals come from, so no matter where they are on maritime or on the ground. Uh, that we track the sources of uh, RF signals no matter where they come from and intend to offer also a service uh, for tracking RF signals.
1: Yes, Hans, thank you so much for your time. It was really great having you.
2: Thank you very much, Laura. Thanks, Laura.
1: That's it for this week For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Defense and Aerospace Reports daily podcast hosted by Vago Maradian. And to keep your eye on what's happening in the maritime domain, check out Cavish Ships. You can subscribe to the Downlink podcast on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.